Holy Communion and the New Covenant by Ronnie D. Thomason Introduction from Luke 22, verses 14 through 20. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and gave thanks, and said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Holy Communion is essential to the spiritual life of Christians. Jesus Christ commanded his followers to receive the Holy Communion. It enjoys the same standing as the ordinance of water baptism. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11:26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. By participating in the Lord's Supper, we are carrying out the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. Modern Christianity has reduced this important element of communion with the Lord to a mere ritual. To most people, Holy Communion has lost its meaning and thereby its power. To understand the Lord's Supper is to understand better the power and impact of the new covenant upon all those who participate in faith. In this writing, we will look at several aspects of the new covenant as seen through the window of the Holy Communion. We will see our new relationship through the death of Jesus. We will see our eternal salvation through the blood of Jesus. Through the emblems of the Holy Communion, we will see our healing, our fellowship and union with the Savior, and our fellowship and union with the body of Christ, the Church. The Supper Aspect of Holy Communion In Matthew 15, 32, it says Jesus was moved on more than one occasion to feed people. He saw the crowds of people and had compassion on the multitudes. Weymouth's translation of this passage says, My heart yearns for this mass of people. Jesus looked upon them as individuals in need, and he yearned to meet their need. These words of Jesus were spoken just before he fed 4,000 miraculously. This was distinct from his miracle feeding of the 5,000. Each occasion marked the close of a phase of his ministry. In Matthew 14, Jesus was closing his ministry in Galilee, where he had spent his childhood and the greatest part of his ministry. He closed this part of his ministry with a feast for 5,000 men, their women, and children. The second feast ended his ministry among the heathen multitudes of the Decapolis region. These people that Jesus fed in Matthew 15 were not Jewish people and were not the religious people he had lived among. 
In the first feast, Jesus showed compassion for those among whom he had lived and ministered. In the second feast, he showed compassion for those who had heard and seen very little of his life and ministry. These two feasts occurred close in time as Jesus closed up his ministry in those two areas. As Jesus approached the final hours of his life, he gave another feast. This feast was like the other two in some ways and very unlike them in others. It too was motivated by his compassion for people. It spoke of an offering. It also forecast another miracle. This feast was different in that it was given to a smaller, more intimate group of his closest followers. It was shared privately with those who had walked with him and who had served him during his ministry. Jesus knew his time with these disciples was about to end. He wanted them to see that the relationship they had with him was deeper and eternal. He also wanted to prepare them to take the bread of life to the masses. They would be responsible to feed the word of Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. The church must, through the Holy Communion, see Jesus broken and fed to the multitudes. This revelation would motivate the church to share Jesus Christ with the millions who have not heard the gospel. There is no one like Jesus. No one else can offer the world the help it needs. There is no hope outside of Jesus. The only hope for the billions of people in the world today is to see the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ and hear the invitation to come and dine or come and partake of the living bread. Just as the loaves and fishes fed the multitudes with plenty of leftover, so also will every need of humanity be met in Jesus Christ with no danger of scarcity. When the disciples gave food, there was more than enough for everyone to eat and be satisfied. When we share Jesus with the world, there is more than enough of him to meet every need of every humanity with plenty left over. In that private moment, Jesus, along with his disciples, sharing the Last Supper food, Jesus gave them this charge. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Just as they were responsible for distribution of the loaves and fishes, his disciples were given the responsibility to feed the world. Holy Communion is more than a religious act. It is the means for sharing a life-giving message to the world. It is a message of healing and hope. It is a message of union with God through Jesus Christ. It is a message of eternal life. The Lord's Supper is all about Jesus Christ. He is the Lord's Supper. The Lord initiated it to be a memorial of what He did for us. In observing the Lord's Supper, we are remembering or recalling what was done by Him and its result for all who believe. We must remember, though, it is His memorial. It was instituted by him to be an observance of his followers until I come. This does not belong to a church or religious organization. It is not to be denied to anyone who is willing to come to Jesus. It is his supper. All who eat of the bread and drink of the cup partake of the essence of Christ himself. This is not to say that he literally becomes the bread and the cup, but those who share in this memorial are entering into a close fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. 
the meaning of the emblems becomes a spiritual reality for those who participate in faith. Thus, we call it Holy Communion. We are coming into union with the Holy One. For Believers Only Holy Communion was not for the unbeliever. Jesus gave the first communion to his disciples after Judas had left the room. He did not give communion to his enemies. There was no place at the table for someone who was not a disciple. The unbelieving and unsaved have no place at the Lord's Supper. Those who partake in this supper come into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus, becoming one with him. This can only happen with these who are born into his family through the Holy Spirit and the new birth being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Those who participate in Holy Communion are demonstrating an acceptance of the death of Jesus as their own death to sin and as full payment for sin's penalty. We have accepted his burial as the putting away of our old nature. We have accepted his resurrection as our own new life by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. We are identified with being dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is offensive to God for those who are unbelieving and undiscerning to partake of the Holy Communion. Therefore, it is a believer's only communion. Understanding the symbolism of the Holy Communion helps us to understand our union with Christ and our fellow Christians. The cup of blessing represents the blood Jesus shed for us. He said of the cup in Matthew 26:28, This is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many. There is a significant parallel between the Lord's Supper and the Passover feast in the Old Testament. Remember, it was at an observance of the Passover that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. The Passover pointed to the Lord's Supper. It was a special time when each father explained to his children how the death angel had passed through Egypt. In every home where the blood of the sacrificial lamb had not been applied to the doorpost, the firstborn died. That sacrificial lamb was a foretelling of Jesus Christ. The deliverance from the death angel in Egypt was a prophetic picture of the deliverance accomplished through Jesus Christ for all believers. Jesus instituted the new feast, the Lord's Supper, or Holy Communion, just hours before he was to fulfill the old Passover feast. The Passover feast foretold the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus for all mankind. It was only fitting that Jesus would institute the memorial feast that we share today at the conclusion of the Passover feast. That is why we call it the Last Supper. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the symbolism that existed in the Passover feast. He was the Passover lamb sent by God to save us from death. His blood causes judgment to pass over us, leaving us alive. Jesus died so we might live. Just as the Jews told the story of the Passover over and over throughout all the generations, teaching their children what it meant, so should we tell the story of the Lord's Supper to our generation and to our children and to the generations to come. 
We are to continue observing the Lord's Supper until Christ returns to earth to claim his church and set up his everlasting kingdom. By doing so, we honor his death and herald his returning as King of kings and Lord of lords. When he returns, as he promised his disciples, he will drink of his cup with us in that kingdom. This speaks of the enduring nature of his work on the cross and bears witness to the eternal salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. If we were to ask the Jews of Jesus' time what the Passover meant to them, they might speak of freedom from death or, or slavery. They who had sprinkled the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost were safe from the death angel that killed the firstborn of every Egyptian household. When the death angel saw the blood of the lamb, he knew that the lamb had died. The evidence of that death was smeared over the door. The blood was a signal to pass over. It was because death had already come to that house. Likewise, the blood of Christ speaks that judgment has already come to those who believe. We have already died in Christ. It was our death he suffered. When we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of how safe we are in him. As often as we eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord, we know that God's justice has been satisfied and we have no need to fear. This is because God is satisfied with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus is enough. Matthew Henry's commentary states, The Passover and the deliverance out of Egypt were typical and prophetic signs of a Christ to come, who should, by dying, deliver us from sin and death and the tyranny of Satan. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is instituted to be a commemorative sign or memorial of a Christ already come that has by dying delivered us. The breaking of Christ's body as a sacrifice for us is here commemorated by the breaking of bread. This is my body which is given for you. This bread that was given for us is given to us to be food for our souls. This bread that was broken and given for us to satisfy for the guilt of our sins is broken and given to us to satisfy the desire of our souls. And this we do in remembrance of what he did for us when he died for us and for a memorial of what we do in making ourselves partakers of him and joining ourselves to him in an everlasting covenant. The shedding of Christ's blood by which the atonement was made as represented by the wine in the cup it commemorates the purchase of the covenant by the blood of Christ and confirms the promises of the covenant. In all our commemorations of the shedding of Christ's blood, we must have an eye to it as shed for us, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the end of Matthew Henry's quote. When we speak of the cup of the Lord, the question arises concerning the use of the fruit of the vine, since in the Passover, the blood of a living sacrifice was required to be spread over the doorpost. Why the juice of the grape in the Lord's Supper? This cup he gave to the disciples with a command, Drink ye all of it. Thus he welcomes his guests to his table, obliges them all to drink of his cup. 
with an explication for this is my blood of the New Testament. Hitherto the blood of Christ had been represented by the blood of beasts, real blood. But after it was actually shed, it was represented by the blood of grapes, metaphorical blood. It is my blood of the New Testament, Jesus said. The covenant God is pleased to make with us and all the benefits and privileges of it are owing to the merits of Christ's death. It is shed. It was not shed till the next day, but it was now upon the point of being shed. It is as good as done. It is shed for many. Christ came to confirm a covenant with many. The blood of the Old Testament was shed for a few. But Jesus Christ is a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2 and 2. It is shed for the remission of sins. That is to purchase remission of sins for us. The new covenant which is procured and ratified by the blood of Christ is a charter of pardon, an act of indemnity, in order to be a reconciliation between God and man. The pardon of sin is that great blessing which is, in the Lord's Supper, conferred upon all true believers. It is the foundation of all other blessings and the spring of everlasting comfort. Jesus has become our propitiation. Christ is the payment for all the penalties that were due us because of unrighteousness. He is enough. God is satisfied. The blood has been shed and applied to the doorpost. The demands of justice have been met, and we have been redeemed. We have received a new life in Christ. The blood bears witness that our sins are really gone. We receive the Lord's Supper because our sins are gone. This is not an act of hope for some future occurrence. It is a fact. It has happened. We celebrate our new freedom from sin and death each time we partake of Holy Communion. It is not a time of sadness, but rather a time of joyous celebration and praise to the Lord. In Matthew 26:30, they closed the supper by singing a hymn. They sang a hymn or song. Singing of psalms is a gospel ordinance. It is very proper after the Lord's Supper as an expression of our joy in God through Jesus Christ and a thankful acknowledgement of that great love wherewith God has loved us in Him. It is not unseasonable, no, not in times of sorrow and suffering. Our spiritual joy should not be interrupted by outward afflictions. Holy Communion and Divine Healing The Holy Communion also provides for us a picture of divine healing. Everything that God gives us comes through Jesus Christ. It is all through Him and by Him. He gives us the broken body. The broken body of Jesus is the antitype of the lamb that was eaten at the first Passover. The feast of the Passover is kept by the Jews even today. There are some important truths here. In the book of Psalms, chapter 105, verse 31, you will see that the psalmist is talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, about them being delivered by God and going into the wilderness and traveling through the wilderness. Now the psalmist makes this amazing statement in verse 37. 
and there was none feeble among his tribes. What does that word feeble mean? It means not weak, nor sick, nor deformed, nor paralyzed, nor was any one of them sickened, nor did any suffer from any physical ailment. Three million people had no ailment of any physical form or nature when they left that, um, that morning. It is not possible that three million Jewish slaves carrying big blocks and working with heavy equipment without food and living under extremely difficult pressures and circumstances were able to survive without one getting sick. Living in all that mud and trash, living in those conditions, they certainly did get sick. Between that covenant meal and the next morning, somewhere between those two events, those people got healed. I believe that as they ate that lamb, or as they ate that covenant meal, they were healed. When they left Egypt, they left with the lamb in them. God's lamb was in them. Today, you and I have the real lamb, the eternal lamb in us. They only had a type of that lamb in them when they left Egypt, and that is why they received their healing. This meal that they were eating was in fact the true covenant meal of the Abrahamic covenant. The entire nation of Israel were having the real covenant meal of the Abrahamic covenant, and that was the final thing that sealed that covenant for them and brought them out. While they ate, they were being reminded of the covenant that existed between God and Abraham. It increased their faith to believe in their God. They had the lamb in them, and they walked out of the Egypt completely healed. A few hundred years later, the second Adam finally came to the earth. Jesus Christ was born in a manger. He walked this planet known as Jesus. He revealed to the world that he was the Christ, the Messiah. Unfortunately, the Jews did not believe that he was God's eternal lamb. In John 1, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus after he had baptized him in the river Jordan and had seen the Holy Ghost descended and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is God's eternal Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and here he comes. There came a day, three and one half years later, that this same feast was to take place. The Passover feast was to be celebrated when thousands of lambs and sheep would be slaughtered and they would remember the eternal ordinance of God that God had said they should never forget. They were going to have that meal, that covenant meal, to remember that God had passed over them. The Levites and the rabbis had hit on a very clever scheme. They realized that a great deal of money could be made there and they decided to breed those sheep especially for slaughter and to sell them to the families of Israel. In that way they could make money. Those sheep were born specifically to die for the people. On the tenth day of Nisan, the tenth day of April, thousands and thousands of sheep began to pour in through the sheep gate into the temple area where they would be slaughtered. On the same day, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He came through another gate. He was God's true eternal lamb who came to die for the sins of the world. Those sheep had to be prepared for three full days. They had to be inspected. They would take each lamb and inspect it thoroughly to see if there was any 
sign on it of deformity or blemish. If there was, it was rejected. They kept searching until they had enough sheep for every single family in Israel. For three days the lambs were inspected. Jesus had been inspected and scrutinized for three years by the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious lawyers. They had asked him question after question after question in an effort to trap him to find out whether he was the Messiah. One day he stood before Pilate and Pilate said, I can find no fault in him. At 6 p.m. on the 13th day of April, the Lord Jesus Christ sat down to have the meal, the Passover meal with his disciples. He sat down to eat to remember the Passover. On the table was a bag. Inside the bag were three pouches. Each pouch had a loaf of bread inside. Jesus took a loaf of bread from the center pouch and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Jews still take the center piece of bread even today. When the rabbis get together to break bread and remember the Passover, they take bread from the center pouch. Some Jews were asked the question, why do you take bread from the center pouch? Reluctantly, they replied, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the center pouch is Isaac. They had no reason to offer why they broke Isaac. That is not the correct answer. Right there, the children of Israel were shown the eternal trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have actually throughout history taken out the body of Jesus and broke it. When Jesus took the centerpiece of bread and broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Jesus then took the cup and filled it with wine. There were always four cups on the table when the Passover feast was eaten. Three of them were filled with wine, but the fourth cup was empty and was turned upside down. That cup could only be used by the Messiah. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah. It would be used by the Messiah when he came. There was also an empty chair every time they sat down to eat the Passover meal. Now Jesus did not touch the three cups standing upright that had been filled with wine. He took the empty cup. The Bible says that he took the cup and he filled it with wine. He then said, Take, drink all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood. He was saying, I am going to make a brand new covenant with you, and it is not going to be sealed with the blood of a lamb. It is going to be sealed with my own blood. I am the new lamb, the eternal lamb. There were no empty chairs in that room because the Messiah was sitting in the chair that had been left empty. After Jesus left her that day, his disciples knew who he claimed to be, the Messiah that was prophesied by all the symbolism of the Old Testament. The Passover was fulfilled before their very eyes. How could the eating of the Passover lamb in Egypt heal the people of all their diseases, sicknesses, and infirmities, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, not heal those who believe in him? Truly the prophet Isaiah saw this when he said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he hath made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 4-12 It is clear from the words and actions of Jesus that he saw himself as the lamb that was to be eaten, and the sinner loaf that was to be broken and eaten as well. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He eateth of this bread, shall live forever. John six fifty three through 58 Jesus saw himself as the lamb and the center loaf of the Passover feast. He knew the significance of that symbolism, and he also knew he was the fulfillment of it all. This was actual, uh, actually acted out in his ministry of healing the sick. Jesus and the Lamb of God as the bread of life. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Acts 10.38 Jesus represents life and healing for all who believe on him. Peter understood this connection between Jesus' sufferings and bodily healing and said in 2 Peter or 1 Peter 2:24, "Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." The idea of eating his flesh is represented symbolically in the Holy Communion with the eating of the bread. The cup represents his blood. Though this is outwardly a symbolic act, it does affect us spiritually and physically. This can be seen in the warning that the Apostle Paul gives the Corinthian church concerning those who were participating in the Lord's Supper without proper understanding or respect. Paul taught that their unworthy participation in this church ordinance 
was directly responsible for many of them being sick and some even having died. If the physical body can become sick and die because of eating the Lord's Supper unworthily, then it is reasonable to think that one who eats in faith can be healed in the physical body through the Holy Communion. Holy Communion is an act of partaking of and participating in Christ. In this, our fellowship and union with God is restored by eating his flesh and drinking his blood as represented in the elements of communion, we by faith enter into the provision of reconciliation with God that was wrought on our behalf through the death of Jesus Christ. The power of the cross in heaven has been manifested in the entire removal of everything that could bring about a separation from God or awaken his wrath so that in Christ we are granted the utmost freedom of entrance to and the most intimate intercourse with God. Peace has been made and proclaimed. Peace reigns in heaven. We are perfectly reconciled to God and have been received again into his friendship. Andrew Murray in the Blood of the Cross. All this is through power of the cross. Oh, that we had eyes to see how completely the veil has been rent, how free and unhindered is our access to God, and how freely His blessing may flow toward us. There is now nothing, absolutely nothing, to hinder the fullness of the love and power of God from coming to us and working in us, save only our unbelief, our slowness of heart. Let us meditate upon the power which the blood has exercised in heaven till our unbelief itself is conquered and our right to these heavenly powers by faith fills our lives with joy. To the extent that we understand, believe, and participate in the meaning behind the Lord's Supper, we may appropriate all that Jesus accomplished in his body and blood on the cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news in that it announces our restored fellowship to God and informs us of our redemption from the curse of the law. It is like the last minute stay of execution and pardon for a death row inmate. We who were doomed to die and go to hell have been rescued by the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ and brought back into fellowship with God our Father. It is as new creatures that we partake of the Holy Communion. 2 Corinthians 5.17-21 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, 
and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. 1 John 1, 1 through 1-4. The disciples of Jesus, of whom John was one, understood that their ministry to the church included making each believer aware of the fellowship that we have with the Father and with Jesus Christ. The institution of Holy Communion offered a clear picture of the work of reconciliation done by Jesus in the offering of his body and blood. The picture of this being a supper speaks of intimate fellowship. The word communion speaks of coming into union with someone. The one to whom we are coming to be in union with is Jesus himself and the Heavenly Father by him. It has sometimes been said that as Jesus is priest and offering, he must also be the altar. There is a truth in this representation. The cross exists not apart from the crucified Christ. At the cross, the living Christ is found. If this representation helps our faith, Take the crucified Christ as your altar and lay down your body with all that it contains, with all the life that dwells in it, on him before the Father. Then you are a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Then you will reach the full fellowship of which the Lord's Supper is the type. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17 says, "'Tis the bread which we break. Is it not the fellowship of the body of Christ?' The cup which we drink, is it not the fellowship of the blood of Christ? Full fellowship with the crucified flesh and shed blood is what he desires to give us. This fellowship is found when we give ourselves over entirely to die as he died, so that we may live with him, the crucified one. When we lay ourselves on the altar, giving up ourselves to the cross to become one by faith with the crucified Jesus. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Once we understand what is represented by the Holy Communion, as we consciously exercise our faith in participation of the Lord's Supper, He bestows on us all that has been or will be done in the holiest of holies by the Lord Jesus on our behalf. We become partakers in a very real way of the unceasing work of the blood and the body which are eternal. If we desire to abide in the full enjoyment of close fellowship with God, whom we serve as priest, if we desire to experience the constant cleansing of our souls from the stains of sin by the blood, if we wish to know the peace or joy or power of the cross of Jesus in the fellowship of his blood, All these things are possible because the eternal, never-ceasing activities which the blood exercises in heaven are exercised in our hearts also here on earth. By repeating the Lord's Supper as a regular act of church worship, we continually remind ourselves of these things and we keep ourselves in the fellowship of the Lord's suffering so that we can continue in the joy of all that it means. Union with Jesus Christ Union is the condition that exists when one or more things are united. Being united is being bound together. When things are united, they become less identifiable as individual things and more recognizable as one unit. 
when things come into union with each other, they're no longer thought of principally as several small things, but as one larger thing. Often when a person accepts Christ as Savior and is born again, he is elated at the knowledge that he will escape eternal judgment and be allowed everlasting sanctuary in heaven. But many times the new Christian does not realize all that has become his when he accepted Jesus. Sadly, that Christian may go through much or all of his life on earth without ever enjoying his salvation to its fullest, because he does not realize what became his at his new birth. One of the purposes of the Lord's Supper is to remind us of these benefits. Without detracting from the beauty and splendor of heaven, we need to understand that escaping hell and gaining heaven is not all there is to salvation. Receiving a place in heaven is the result of the transaction that took place on our behalf at the moment we accepted Christ. Central to that transaction is our union with Him. When we accepted Christ, we were united with Him, bound to Him, literally placed in Him. All that we were was placed upon Him, and all that He was was made available to us. When a person is saved, he does not merely receive a ticket to heaven. Instead, he becomes the beneficiary of a divine plan that makes a life of victory on earth and an eternity of blessing in heaven the normal and expected things. Union among the members of his body, the church. Finally, no study of Holy Communion is complete without understanding the work of Jesus Christ toward our fellowship and communion with the body of Christ, His church. Matthew 26, verse 27 says, He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. Jesus gave the cup to the disciples who were gathered around Him and told them to drink all of it. They drank of that one cup together. To enter into the new covenant with Jesus, they had to enter into it with each other. Uh, This aspect of Holy Communion must not be overlooked. We have no union with Christ if there is no union with our fellow Christian. There was power in what Jesus did on the cross to not only bring us into fellowship with God by removing the sin that separated us from Him, but Jesus also broke down the sin barriers that existed between men. In Christ, We eat the same bread and drink from the same cup. This is a reminder to us that Jesus Christ has made us one people joined at the same place, at Christ. Considering the following Bible passages, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. 
that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. <clears throat> now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 10-22 These verses point out the dramatic coming together of Jews and Gentiles together in Christ. Outside of Christ there is division and racial tension. In Christ we become of one blood, His blood. There remains no justification or reason for us to be segregated from one another. Jesus has made us one body and blood by His body being broken and His blood being shed. For us to deny this is to deny His work on the cross. For us to ignore this in our worship is to bring upon ourselves sickness and death as pointed out by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11:18 through 27 which says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it, for there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you came together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and the other is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Paul, in his rebuke of the selfish behavior of the Corinthians, pointed out to them that not fully comprehending the relationship between members of the church led to offenses that broke the new covenant relationship they had with Christ. It resulted in the loss of protection for their own health and life. Their sin against other brethren cut them out of what the Holy Communion was all about. This is not the only place in Scripture where our relationship with our fellow Christian is held to such high importance. 
in the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus ends his prayer instruction with a serious warning. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive also you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. In his discourse about having the faith of God in Mark chapter 11, Jesus once again speaks about the impact of unforgiveness has on our operation of faith. Mark 11, 25 and 26, he says, When you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. The Apostle John also reminded the church of the fellowship of believers and the impact of that fellowship on our relationship to the Lord. In 1 John 3 and 14 through 16, he said, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whenever we speak of the word fellowship, we need to review its origins. It is the word koinia, or communion, fellowship, sharing in common, from the word koinos, which means common. According to the meaning of the word that is used to describe Holy Communion and our relationship to other believers, it is clear that we entered into this special relationship with the body of Christ, the church, when we entered into our fellowship with the Lord by eating His flesh and drinking His blood. Holy Communion speaks not only of our vertical relationship to the Lord, but our horizontal relationship with one another. As we enter into the remembrance of what the Lord accomplished for us at the Lord's table, let us also remember the table of fellowship for all of us who are gathered together by like faith. Here we are one. Here all differences are removed and forgotten. Here we become one race, one breed, one kind. Here we are the family of God. The Holy Communion is more than a ritual practiced by a stiff and unfeeling religion. It is a special time of joining with Jesus, the Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, and our brothers and sisters in Christ to experience the reality of all that Jesus did for us at the cross. It is a high moment of spiritual reality that the world cannot share in with us because they have not understood or received Jesus and all that he did for them. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, knowing that Jesus is mine and thine. God bless you.